0: Hey there, welcome to the Favorite Church Podcast. We are a church for imperfect people who want to know God and make Him famous. In this episode, we'll be hearing from our senior pastor, James Aiden. John chapter one, verse 17. It's a small verse, but this is what it says. It says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Christmas obviously was yesterday, and I love what Christmas does because Christmas, if you treat it right, it aligns us to what really matters. In the midst of Christmas, we have to deal with all the commercialism and you know, the fakeness of Santa and all the different stuff like that. Uh, but if we can actually wade through all you know, the people trying to make money, uh, and we get to the reason, the reason is Jesus, and it aligns us to who Christ is And it's an interesting verse here because in the first chapter of John, John is setting up in this first chapter, who Jesus is. It's almost like his resume, his CV. Uh, he in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word. the Word was with God, the Word is God. And he's setting up who Jesus is. He is the Word. He's been here since the beginning of time. John makes this little statement. he says, "Hey, the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus. The law to most people represented rules that must be followed. And so that's why when Jesus came with truth and grace, it messed a lot of people up. The title of my sermon today is, What Are the Rules? What are the rules? This sermon actually was sparked inside of me. Because I was talking to one of the guys in our church and uh, recently he brought a friend to church for the first time, never been to our church. has obviously within the Philippines, been involved in, in, you know, going to Catholic church, probably of the Catholic faith. And I said to this guy, I said, hey, how did your friend enjoy church? You know, first time, how did he enjoy it? He's like, yeah, no, it was great. You know, he liked it, everything, thought it was cool. And he said this really interesting thing. He goes, you know, he knows all the rules, He just doesn't really live it. And I thought that's a really interesting statement to make about someone, that they know all the rules, but they just don't really live it out. And it got me thinking about this idea of how do we view the Christian faith? Do we view it through a relationship with God, or do we view it through the eyes of rules? a set of rules to be followed, a set of rules to live by. Some people love rules. Other people were born to break rules. Is there any rule breakers in the house today? (coughs) Sorry, I've still got that communion stuck in my throat. The problem when it comes to viewing the Christian faith through the eyes of rules is that we can end up putting more trust in the rules than in the one who set them out. You end up focusing more on keeping the rules and you lose the motivation of why the rules were actually given. Some people like viewing Christianity through the lens of rules because it makes it easier to put Christianity in a box. It makes it black and white. But let's face it, there's other people that love to smash the box and smash the rules, but there's a lot of people that really like the rules. They like the box. They want the box to be defined. Do you know anybody that loves the box to be defined? And the moment that it's not defined or it's broken, they just get angry? You know anyone like that? I know someone like that. My friend Albi. <laughs> Albi loves the box. He loves the rules. I was reminded actually this week as a staff for our staff Christmas party, we all went bowling, right? We all went bowling. It was a great time. My team should have won. Uh, but on a on a technicality, on a technicality done, we the, the scoring was done by Pastor Woolum, who is Korean, so we trusted. We thought, well, he's Korean, at least he should get it right. But I'm not going to get into it. But I was reminded of the story of a few years ago when our staff was a lot smaller, and we had a staff Christmas party, and we went bowling. Again, bowling's just isn't that just a good party to have? Bowling. What are you doing? bowling? It's great, and uh, and so we went bowling. And at the beginning of the bowling, I said to our staff, "Okay, okay, here's here's the rules. Ready? Have fun. No bumpers." you know, because we're not children, no bumpers. And the highest score, whoever gets the highest score uh, gets a free pair of shoes, right? So all of a sudden it became interesting. Now it's not just a staff party. Now it's a competition for free shoes. And if there's one person on our staff that loves competition, it's Albie. Albie loves it. All of a sudden, Albie, like, starts stretching, starts doing his thing, you know, his little thing that he does, and he starts going off, like, doing his, he, and he's bowling, he gets the right thing, and he starts bowling. He, he's getting so into this, he's not just focused on his own bowling, he's now trying to pull other people down as well. <laughs> other people are bowling, he's going next to him going, ah, like that, trying to, as they go down the bowling, and it was getting closer and closer, and at the end of the game, I'll be one. He was one fair and square. And boy, did he love it. He's up there like celebrating. This is before he got married as well. So this was like, you know, an achievement in his life, you know, before marriage, you know, his achievement. Whoa, shoes, right? This is great. So he's there thanking everybody at the lanes that are there. And so we all jump in in one, one van and we drive somewhere else and the staff doesn't know what's about to happen. And I take them uh, into uh, uh, some, some mall, and we're walking around. They're following me. They're like, where's it going? I'm like, ooh, just follow me, the Pied Piper. I felt like the Pied Piper. Uh, but they're not rats. They're my wonderful staff. And, uh, and so, <laughs> I just want to make that clear. And, and so they're following me, and I walk into this shoe store, and it's a shoe store. We, we knew the owner, and, uh, and so I walked in, and I looked at everyone, and they came in. There was only a small amount of staff And I said, hey, guys, we've had a really great year this year. You know, uh, it's been big. God's grown our church. All of you have sacrificed so much. It's so incredible. Kate and I, we want to let you know that we love you from the bottom of our hearts. And so we want you to know everybody gets a pair of shoes. Pick any shoes that you want, right? Beautiful moment, right? People, <laughs> Tally starts crying. She's like, oh my God. I love you, right? Tally's sitting there crying. Other people getting emotional. PJ's getting emotional. John's like, yes, yeah, yeah, (laughs) right? Everyone's good. Everyone is happy (laughs) except Albie. Albie, as I say the news, Tally starts to cry next to him. This is Albie's face. He starts getting angry. Tally's on oh my god, I haven't felt this loved by a boss before, right? Like that. like, what? Why? Why does everybody else get shoes? And this is what he says: Do I get two? <laughs> he was angry because the rules got broken. The rules were he won, he gets shoes but now everybody got shoes and he wasn't happy. Anybody else get unhappy when the rules get broken, right? It's easy sometimes to hold to rules because everything is there. It's set. But what happens maybe when the rules get broken or it's not as easy to see the rules today, I want to talk about why we shouldn't look at Christianity even though it was beautifully celebrated yesterday through through the birth of Jesus, why we shouldn't look at it through the eyes of a set of rules, but rather we should look at it through the beauty of the truth, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus. Here are some thoughts that I have. Number one is this, Christianity starts with good news. Christianity starts with good news. The gospel is literally translated as the good news. The gospel. Maybe you've heard that word before. If you're new to church, you might have heard it. You might not have. In church, we talk about how we share the gospel. We preach the gospel. A lot of people today have their opinions about the gospel, this word, what they think the gospel is. All you got to do is get on YouTube and see people that have done one online Bible course, and they think they know everything about the Bible, start giving their opinions on other churches, and they're preaching a false gospel. They're not preaching the correct gospel. It's a prosperity gospel. It's a it's, And they got all these little 22-year-olds that think they know everything in life, are all giving their opinions on the gospel. But I don't think, Some people actually truly know what it is. One of my favorite movies in the world. One of my favorite movies in the world. Uh, Actually, it's my favorite. It's The Princess Bride. I don't know if you've seen The Princess Bride. As you wish, right? Beautiful. I'm telling you, young men, if you want a love romantic movie that's clean, without sex full of thrilling excitement and adventure. It's the Princess Bride. Uh, and in the Princess Bride, there's this little dude. He's a little, short, weaselly man. His name is uh, Vizini, I think. His name is and he's got the most annoying little voice. And he would always say, and the one word he would always say is, inconceivable, right? That's how he would always say. He had a lisp. He would always say, inconceivable. And there's this other really cool character called Enigo Montoya. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. Right? You gotta watch this movie. I'm telling you, it's the best. And so there's this one moment where they're looking over the cliff. It's Inigo Montoya Vizzini, and actually Andre the Giant is there as well, just you know, to throw him in the movie. And they're looking over, and the guy goes, Oh, this guy's gaining on us. And a little squiggly, wormy guy goes, Inconceivable. And I just love this thing because Inigo Montoya is so cool, the Spanish guy. And he said this to him He goes, You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, right? And I just love that line. You keep using that word. I I do not think it means what you think it means. And I think that a lot of people don't understand what actually the gospel is. I think they use the word, but they do not know what it means? They think they know what it means. I always think of this line when I hear people trying to, make the gospel represent the entire spectrum of Christian biblical teaching or use it as ammunition against preachers that they don't like. But this is why this point matters so much. My point, which is Christianity starts with the good news. This is why. Because the message of Christ does not start with the fruit of the Spirit. I just preached a whole series, Willem and I, on the fruit of the spirit. The message of Christianity of Christ does not start with the fruit of spirit. It does not start with listing a bunch of rules of things that you can't do or can't do, listing a bunch of things that you should avoid because in the long run it will hurt you. It doesn't start with that. The message of Christ starts with the gospel, and the gospel is the good news, What is the good news? Well, I'll tell you. I'm going to read what Paul said because he perfectly summed it up in his simple letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is why Paul described it. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So he's, let me just set this up. He's saying that I preach to you a gospel. If you stand upon that gospel, which I preach to you, then you will be saved. But if you don't, you're just doing everything in vain. You're just turning up to church and giving your tithe, and it's all in vain unless you actually believe it. Here we go, verse three, he goes, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, So he's saying, this is the first thing I said. This is the most important thing I said, and this is what it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So Paul says, this is what the gospel is, and this is how important. This is the first importance. This is the first thing I'm going to share for you. And what is it? That he died for our This is the gospel. That he died for our sins according to scripture. That he was buried. That he was resurrected. And that he appeared to more than 500 people. This is the gospel in a nutshell. When people say, does your church Preach the true gospel? Yes! Every week we tell people that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised again, he was resurrected, that he is alive. That is the true gospel. And everything that Paul taught in the New Testament, everything that John taught, everything that Peter taught, that James taught, everything that we teach as a church all comes as a result of the good news that Jesus died, but he was buried, and he defeated death, and he rose victorious. That's the good news. Everything is preached and taught on that foundation. It's from the truth of the gospel that we are led into this wonderful, huge, enormous, large world of biblical truth and revelation that will help us grow in God as we walk our sanctification journey out with him. But the journey starts with the news. This is important because it leads me to my second point, which is this. Following rules won't earn salvation following rules won't earn salvation the law of the old testament it was basically designed as a law that told people what they could and could not do what they were allowed to do and what they weren't allowed to do and also the ceremonial law came with expectations on how to worship god and what must be done ceremonially in our relationship with God. But the law was always designed to show us our need of God. No human being could ever meet all the requirements of the law. That's why God instigated, even from the beginning, a sin offering when the law was given, so that when people fell short of living up to the law, there was always forgiveness at hand. And when Jesus arrived, He just messed everything up. And the Pharisees, who were the ones that taught the people the law, the religious teachers, they were accusing him of trying to come against the law, trying to break the law down. But that was never the intention of Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself, I wanna go to his words in Matthew chapter 5, 17. He says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, There's so much to unpack in here that would take weeks of a sermon series. So I just want to skim off the top here. That Jesus was coming out and basically saying, hey, contrary to what you Pharisees think, I'm not going against the law. I'm actually teaching it and I'm living it out. Jesus fulfilled the moral law by living a perfect and sinless life. Jesus is the only person that could fulfill that law. He also fulfilled the ceremonial law by sacrificing his life and dying on the cross. The lamb, the doves, the pigeons that were sacrificed in the Old Testament. Jesus, that's why we call Jesus the perfect lamb of God. We sing songs, he is the lamb. Not because we love animals, but because Jesus represented the sacrifice. He was the sin offering once and for all. And then Jesus in this short passage goes on to praise those who teach and who live by the commands of God. And this is where we get to this tension point in the message of Christ. Should we follow the law or are we set free from it? Do we have to follow all these rules or do the rules not matter anymore because of truth and grace and mercy? It's interesting. We're taught clearly in scripture that Reaching a level of behavior or following a certain amount of rules will not earn us salvation. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, it says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus and saying, hey, you've only been saved because of the grace of God. It has nothing to do with what you've done. You have fallen short, fall short. We all have. It's only by the grace of God. Your good works have not earned salvation at all. So we have this tension where we're taught clearly we didn't earn it. It's all about what Jesus did. But we've got this other tension on the other hand that the Bible clearly teaches us that once we have received this free gift, there should be evidence that this gift is at work in our lives. James chapter two, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, if one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. So James is saying faith without works actually is dead. I'm not going to deal with this yet. I'm going to deal with this thought in point three, but let's go back to this point number two that I'm talking about. Following a set of rules or doing good works will not earn you salvation. The only way that you can get salvation is through the gift of faith that has been given by God. It's by his grace, not by us earning it. And the gospel, this is, ready? The gospel is the good news of his salvation. It's not a list of requirements that you need to accomplish in order to achieve salvation. That's what the gospel is. And it's important for us to get this revelation because, however, you think you are saved by, is that what you'll have to do to continue to be saved? So, if you think that you've gotten saved because you're such a good person, then you're gonna have to be a good person forever to continue being saved. If you thought that you're saved because you paid your way into the kingdom of God, then you're always gonna have to be given money to stay in the kingdom of God. If you got saved because you thought Jesus noticed how good you were, when you inevitably end up doing something bad, then Jesus will walk away from you. Because if he noticed you because you were good, then he'll unnotice you when you're bad. This wrong thinking also stops people from making commitments to Christ because they feel like they have to be in a certain place. I have to have things together before I fully commit to this. Now, I've talked to many people, even when it comes to the simple act of baptism, that people will say, I don't want to get baptized yet just because I just need to work a few things out. My response is, you need to work a lot more than a few things out. I know you. you need a, it's not a few things. You got a lot of things you got to work out. But the call to baptism is not in response to you working things out. The call to baptism is not a response of you doing a course that now makes you a good Christian, that you are worthy of baptism. The call to baptism is oh, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus. I just heard the gospel that he died for my sins that he was buried but he was resurrected and I want a relationship with him Jesus come into my heart and baptism is the next logical step it's the next step that the bible tells us to do it's a physical act that demonstrates what god has done internally in us it's not a checklist requirement of you got to get to a certain place i want to encourage you if you love jesus if you believe in the gospel of Jesus, if you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart and you are not baptized, get baptized. Don't wait for some magical moment when you're gonna have everything together because I promise you, you will never have everything together. You won't. Some people even just treat their relationship with God like this. Well, you know, I'm not going to get too too into it because, you know, I'm going through stuff. I'm working things out, you know, before I really commit. No, Christ is calling you, commit to him now. Commit now so that things can begin to go in the right direction. Accepting the gospel of Jesus means that instantly you change direction, but it doesn't always mean you change position. When I accept Jesus, I I, I do this demonstration all the time. Before Jesus, I was walking on a road, a highway, you could say. Some would describe it as the highway to hell. Me and ACDC were walking on the highway to hell. And what happened? I heard the good news. Hey, did you hear the good news? Jesus died on the cross. He claimed to be the son of God, and his death was actually for our sins. They buried him, and then... (gasps) Surprise, three days later, rose again, and he appeared to over 500 people. So there's 500 living testimonies of this. I, on my way to hell, hear the good news and go, oh, wow, that is good news. Maybe I didn't realize I was going to hell, or maybe I did know I was, me, I knew I was going to hell. I'd heard the good news already, but I just kind of pushed it aside. But I came to a point in my life 20 years ago next month where I heard the good news again and something clicked in me. And I went, I need that Jesus. So you know what I did instantly in that moment? You know what I did? Instead of pointing towards hell, I now turned in my position and my direction and my direction now faced towards Jesus. Do you realize they, and I'm not getting spiritual and theological here. Yes, instantly we're seated in heavenly high places. I know that for the theologians. Thank you. But here's the thing. When you find Christ, you don't change position. You just change direction. So a lot of people think, wait, but now, now with Jesus, I got to be perfect. Well, no. You know how my life has looked in the last 20 years? You know how my life has looked in the last 20 years? Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm an idiot wow, amazing, God, uh, I did something I shouldn't have done, uh, man, 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 God, you're so good, oh, shaka, boo, 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 right, like, <laughs> this is literally how it's, this is how my journey has walked, this is how my journey, but you know what I've never done, you know what I've never done, and some people do it, and I'm not having to go at you, but I have never, ever looked back, listen to me, listen to me, I've gone backwards, don't get me wrong, I have gone backwards, but I have never, ever turned and changed my direction. I have stayed with you. Now, some people, again, whether, whether you theologically believe this or not, I'm not going to get into that argument today, but there are definitely some people that maybe were facing this way that maybe have turned and now are facing this way now. See, your position doesn't matter. It's the direction in which you are facing So there's so many people that think, well, it's about my position. I've gotta be here, I've gotta be here. That's why in our church, the way I preach, I never wanna preach down to you to make you think that I have it all together and I'm perfect and (laughs) good luck. I am the pastor. Yesterday during Christmas, I did not yell once at my children (laughs) because I'm the pastor. My children are perfect. They cleaned up all their mess from all the Christmas presents without being asked because my children are the children of a pastor. (laughs) Angels we have heard on high is the song I sing to my children when they wake up every morning. (laughs) Well, I don't preach like that. Why? Because that's actually not our family. Do you know why? I'm just like you. I love Jesus. Now, maybe I'm further along than some of you but we're all looking in the same direction and there are some days even now where i take steps back where i let anger get a hold of me where i let jealousy get a hold of me but i'm still pointing in that direction towards jesus you can't earn or even keep your salvation with a motivation to follow rules you can't do it rules are not going to you know what's going to keep you motivated to follow christ knowing who he is We need a relationship with Jesus, not a list of rules to follow. Which takes me to the other side of my tension. Because some of you are like, yes, it's all about this emotional, I just love Jesus. Doesn't matter what I do because his grace and his freedom. I don't know why I'm flapping my arms like this, but. His grace and his freedom is so amazing. And, and I can just do, I can do whatever I want because of his grace and his mercy. And it covers me. I want you to know that's how I internally view everybody that is, that does that. So here is, and herein lies the other tension is this. That's my third point, that relationship leads to a changed life. When we live just by rules, it creates a legalism for our Christian walk. So following rules equals good Christian. Uh, Disobeying the rules equals bad Christian. God loves us when we follow the rules and God hates us when we break the rules. And this is not the base of our Christian faith. The basis of our Christian faith is found in Titus chapter three, verse five. He saved us, talking about Jesus, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We don't have a relationship with a rule book We have a relationship with a Savior, with Jesus, and this is what he did in Romans chapter five, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because Jesus did this, it made a way for us not to follow a dictator, but to follow a father, to have a relationship. John chapter 1 verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. What is our relationship? He is daddy, he is Abba, he is father, and we are now his children's. This changes things, this changes me. You cannot have a relationship with the Father and not be changed. You cannot have an encounter with Jesus and change your direction and stay in the same place forever. The Bible never gives us the amount of time that we should take the next step or the next step or where we should be. The Bible doesn't constrain us or put pressure on us that way. But the Bible indicates to us through the teachings of Paul that when you were a baby in this position, I gave you milk. Now I want to give you some meat. So you need to grow. Also, that's just the message for vegetarians as well. But <laughs> the Bible doesn't put us pressure, but the Bible implies very heavily that the journey of sanctification, which is becoming more like Jesus, which we will continue on until the day we die, it must begin in our lives. And so here is the tension. His grace found us in our sin. We didn't find him, in good works. But a genuine relationship with him, it must change me. Uh, one of my favorite verses of the Bible, Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new Creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I am now new, but do I still struggle with things? Yes. Some people will wrongly teach this and go, you are now a Christian. Everything you struggled with before, ah, it has no hold on you. Yes, it has no hold on you. But if you teach that the wrong way, when it comes back to tempt you, you'll think something is wrong with you because I'm a new creation. It's not supposed to tempt me. No, you're still going to get tempted. Now you're just a new creation. Now you have someone to help you fight against those temptations. I still face those challenges as a new person, but now I face them with the Holy Spirit living in me. If I claim to know Jesus and I've been walking with him for an amount of time where I have allowed him to change me, then I must look different to the way I was before I found him. And the tension is my behavior doesn't change the way God loves me, I will still make mistakes as a Christian, and his forgiveness is always there. So here's the tension. Can I take advantage of that? Oh, I found Jesus. He's amazing. Great. I love Jesus. Oh, I love worship. But man, I still love doing this stuff that I was doing before. So if he forgives, and if his grace is there, shouldn't that be okay? I need to pay this bribe. Well, Jesus will forgive me. I'll just pay the bribe and then Jesus will forgive me. I'll go to church, and I'll raise my hand, and Jesus will forgive me. I just really want to sleep with this person that I'm not married to, right? Well, that's okay, because I can do it, and then the next day, I can just ask Jesus to forgive me. Oh, I really want to take this substance or or inject that or do this or whatever. It's okay, because I can do that, and then Jesus will forgive me. Ah, I really want to give in to a sexual preference or identity that's not the way God designed us in the Bible. It's okay. I'll do it, and then Jesus will forgive me the next day. But How does Paul address people maybe with that mindset? This is how he addresses, and I'm going to read a bunch of Scripture here. And, and I want you to listen to it because remember, every, every one of these New Testament letters that Paul writes to the churches, it, it's as if he's standing in front of the church teaching you. So I really want you to pay attention and I, wanna, I want you to listen to it because there's such depth in this teaching that Paul, I'm not even going to preach it. I'm not even going to explain it out fully because I think it's pretty self-explanatory how Paul describes this. He says this in Romans 6 and verse 1, what shall we say then? shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Come on, someone say amen to that. If you have died with Christ, not died physically, but if you old man, if your old flesh has died, you have now been set free. You're a new creation. He goes on in verse 11 and he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace by no means don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the ones you obey whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness but thanks Be to God that you used to be slaves, though you used to be slaves in sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Thanks be to God that you used to be a slave to sin, but because you encountered the good news, you changed your direction, and you began to read the Bible. You began to go to church and hear good gospel preaching. You began to hang around people that helped you. You now have grown. Your allegiance is now to Christ, and I am a slave to righteousness. pretty self-explanatory but if you missed what paul wrote let me just go over it really quickly don't abuse grace well what if i sin yes that's the thing yes people want to get technical let me get technical with you yes god will forgive you every time you come to him but when we ask god to forgive us we're not just saying sorry it's interesting That some people just treat sorry like it's just, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. When my children at the moment, we're trying to teach them to say sorry when they do something wrong. And it's not just to say sorry, because it's easy to say sorry, right? Sorry. You know, Aslan will hit Sienna. Say, Aslan, come. And he'll go like, sorry. And there's zero life change inside of him, right? So what we're trying to do is we stop him and go, sorry for what? Mm. and he gets so angry. He's like, for hitting you. See, when we come and ask God for forgiveness, it's more than just saying sorry. Like our children, we're trying to teach them to be accountable for what they did. So sorry is not just, sorry for what I did, God. See, repentance is not just saying sorry. Repentance, really, in the original Greek, it's actually a picture When we're told to repent and believe that's what jesus told us repentance is actually this picture in the original greek of physically changing direction why do people seem to just come to church and say sorry say sorry say sorry put their hand up and do the same thing or just live in a total lifestyle that is contrary to the way god would would let us live it's because they've come to church and they've gotten in the habit of just saying sorry sorry isn't repentance Sorry is just something to make you feel better. That's not repentance. Repentance is, I am so sorry for what I did. Jesus, please help me to not do it again. I'm going to walk with you. Oh, God, I did it again. I'm not looking back. I'm maybe taking some steps back, but God, I'm sorry. Please help me to make sure I don't do it again. This is where you can tell the people, and I've been in church a long time. You can tell people that have a relationship with church and people that have a relationship with Jesus. It's not because of how good they are as a person. Not at all. I'm not judging that based on how good you are or how holy you are. Or did you say a swear word this week? It's not, it's not about that. But you can tell the people that genuinely are repenting for the sin for the things that they've done that have separated from God and other people that just throw up a sorry to the big man. You can actually see it. As a church pastor who one of my biggest goals in life is to grow the church as large as possible, I don't want to grow the church on the back of a a fake gospel. I want to grow the church with people that truly understand what it means to repent and to turn from a life of sin and come towards Jesus. Paul is telling us straight, if you found Christ, if you found Christ, which didn't require your works, which didn't require a list of things to do good, then once you found Christ, your behavior will change. It has to, because you are a new creation. How fast does it have to change? Well, there's no rules on that. In fact, can we just for a moment just stop saying the word rules a lot of times we talk about the rules people are what can i do what can i do i don't want to talk about the bible because the bible is full of incredible things in there that people can perceive as rules but i actually like to think of them as boundaries not rules so because rules you know and yes i'm i'm talking about semantics here but rules kind of gives this picture of uh, don't break the rules you're going to be in trouble Whereas boundaries sort of give this idea of, hey, we're placing these boundaries in to protect you. A dictator has rules, a father has boundaries. Rules restrict, boundaries protect. When I was growing up, my dad, who's watching right now in Australia with my mom, love you guys, uh, my my dad and my mom both would uh, discipline me a lot, right, a lot. Now, was I a great child? No, absolutely not. And I required discipline constantly. And my dad, I thought, had rules that were really, really tough on me, and he had boundaries, you know, things like I wasn't allowed to just run off and run away. When I grew up here in the Philippines in the late 80s and the early 90s, a ton, ton of kidnapping. Do you guys remember when kidnapping was big? You know, man, I was a cute little white boy. You know how much money i could have gone for right so my dad was like extra strict with me when we would go out right and i was so hyper and full of energy that i would run and my dad and i would get so angry i would get so angry even as a child because i thought my dad was so mean and he was so restrictive and he had all these rules on me but i never realized that my dad's rule that I perceived of not running away was actually him putting a boundary because he loved me so much he didn't want me to get kidnapped. That he loved me so much that he didn't want me to run across the road by myself and in my immaturity of a child not look left and not look right and get hit by a car. His boundaries were actually put in place because he loved me and he knew that if I broke those boundaries it wouldn't just hurt me but it would hurt people around me when we talk everything in the Bible about what we should and we shouldn't do, these aren't rules to try and make you feel restrictive. Oh, oh, God is not killjoy. He's not KJ. He's not. God is a father that puts boundaries in. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end of time. He created time. He created everything within it. So he should know what works and what doesn't. The whole Old Testament, if you read it through, is one giant story of people not listening to God. The prophets existed in the Old Testament because people did not listen to God. He put boundaries to help them. And what did they do? They kept going away. They kept going away. They kept going away. away. God is not a rule setter because he wants to steal your joy. He is a loving father that wants to create boundaries that say, hey, you didn't have to earn my love. You didn't have to earn my salvation. But once you've got it, I want to teach you that you don't have to stay here. You can actually be here. In fact, you can be here. You can come all the way over. You can be all the way here. And you can have it here. You can be everywhere. You can be up here. You can be, you can be, yeah, you can do everything. You can be all these things if you follow the boundaries. Don't ever confuse it. The boundaries are not there to save you, Christ is there to save you. The boundaries are there to help you live out the salvation that you've experienced. And how you view this revelation will, view, will will affect how you treat God. Here's your two reactions to sin. Ready? Your two reactions to sin are one of two ways. Either when I sin and I do something wrong, I'm afraid of my dad, of my father, and so I'll run and hide this is this is the reaction that Adam and Eve had in the Bible they were afraid they went and hid from God or when I have sinned when I've done something wrong do I run to my father because I need his help am I afraid of dad or do I run to dad people that view Christianity through the eyes of rules either to attain salvation or to continue salvation, when stuff happens, they run away from dad because they're scared of the consequences. Those that view Christianity through the eyes of relationship, knowing that Jesus saved me, when something bad happens, they run to the Father because they know he's their refuge and God is my strength. Hebrews 4.16, it says this, let us then with confidence drawn near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm not afraid of my dad. I love my dad. I love my father in heaven. I'm not afraid. My challenge to you today is this. Don't look at Christianity as a bunch of rules that you're either ticking off the box, you got it right, or oh, I'm failing, I got it wrong, no, no. Look at Christianity through the lens of the gospel, the good news. He died on the cross, he saved you. And if you've really encountered him, and if you're really walking with him, you are now no longer a slave to sin. You are now a new creation. You're a slave to righteousness. God has changed you from the inside out. And maybe your journey may still be over here. That's okay. Just put one foot in front of the other. Maybe you need to go to a build course to learn more about Christianity. Maybe you need to go to the how to read my Bible course so that you can learn how the Bible will speak to you and help you. Maybe you need to get into a connect group so that you can actually get around people that will love you, that will keep you accountable, that will help you grow. Maybe you need to do Bible college at some point. I don't know. Maybe you need to dump that, that person that is not walking with Jesus or I'm in the wrong relationship. there. Maybe, you need, maybe all this stuff needs to happen. And it, and, and it will happen as you let God rule your life. Let God rule your life. Maybe you're here, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. This whole message has been the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. We can't earn it. He did it for us. If you're here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never come to that point where you've asked him to come and forgive you of your sin. Maybe you're watching online. You've never, ever done this. I want to give you a chance. Maybe you did this a long time ago and you, you were walking, but you kind of really ch- changed direction. Something happened. Life happened. Something painful happened. Something you didn't understand happened. You're actually gone back to walking this way. If that's you. I want to give you a chance to respond. Could you all bow your heads, close your eyes? People online, people outside services. Well, I want you to do the same. If you're saying, James, that's me. I- I've done this. I've walked away from Jesus, or maybe James, that first person. I've never given my heart to Christ, never asked him to forgive me of my sin. I've never acknowledged the gospel, his death, his being buried, but his resurrection. Never acknowledged that. If that's you, and you want to respond not to the church and not to the pastor today, But if you want to respond to Jesus, on the count of three, could you lift your hand nice and high? Because I want to pray for you. If you're online, I want you to just do the same thing wherever you're watching from. One, two, three. Right now, lift your hands. All over this place. Awesome. Hands here. Bunch of hands over here on the side. Over here on the left as well. Up in the back corner too. Thank you. If you're online, maybe you could just write. If you feel bold enough, just write and say, hey, this is me. I want prayer. We've got team online that are ready to pray with you. For those that lifted your hand, I want you to put your hand on your heart right now. And we're all gonna pray a prayer together. It's a simple prayer, basically reflecting everything I've read. Paul, in the book of Romans, in the Bible, he actually writes and he says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord is the statement that encapsulates everything I've I've preached today, then you will be saved. So those people with your hands on your heart, come on, we're gonna pray. We're all gonna pray together today. So why don't we say, say, dear Lord Jesus, come to you today. And I want to thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for doing it for me. Right now I ask that you would forgive me of all the things I've done, of all the sin in my life that separates me from you. I believe that through your death and resurrection, You defeated sin, and it's hold on my life. So right now I ask, please come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. The old is gone. The new will come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give God praise for every person that just responded? Thank you so much for listening in. At Favor Church, we're a family and we believe that the Christian journey should not be done alone. If something really spoke to you from the message, we would love to connect with you to talk it over. Or if you prayed the salvation prayer, we'd also love to be able to share more about the decision that you've just made. Please visit us at favor.church slash next to learn more. If you want to share this podcast with a friend, simply tap on the share button and send it through. We love you. We're praying for you. Till next time.